Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. I know that most of the stories I've been telling recently have to do with my daughter, but that's just because I'm a new dad and I've got to try and get the most out of these stories before she's old enough to ask me to stop, right? Hopefully I have the wisdom to listen to her when the time comes. You know, she's usually a really good listener, but there are those times when she has selective hearing. You know what I'm talking about. When the person you're talking to just carries on as if they can't hear you, even though you know they can absolutely hear you. And then when you do get their attention, they just give you this goofy smile as if they didn't know that you've been trying to talk to them for the last two minutes. I'm not the only one who's experienced this. <laughs> okay, good. But then there are other times when Megan and I will be talking in the car and Emmy is in the back singing songs to herself or something. And then she'll repeat something we just said. We didn't know that she was listening, but there she is proclaiming in a loud voice, what the heck, what the heck? Let's just say that I'm glad I didn't let any other words slip out when I thought she wasn't listening. See, Jesus once said that a wise person is someone who listens and obeys his words, while someone who hears Jesus's words and then doesn't do anything about them is a foolish person. I wonder how we would score on that scale on any given day. I wonder if you're like me, and most of the time, you don't really listen to anyone else, but you just charge ahead with your life until someone speaks to you in a way that stops you from going too far or losing perspective. Today, we're gonna see David in exactly that situation. See, we last left off when David had a chance to kill Saul, but instead, he decided to pull a power move and send a message while seeming like he was still being subservient and humble. Do we remember that with the cave and the cutting off of the edge of the robe? Well, today, our story gives us a little bit of a break from David's drama with Saul while we follow David into the wilderness with his men and see how David is maturing as a leader and a future king. So our reading today is from 1 Samuel chapter 25. Now, Samuel died and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maon, who had property there in Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were here with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Now, when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. 
And then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Each of you, strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, don't worry. We're not going to stop there on a cliffhanger like that. Definitely keep your Bibles open because we're going to be going through this whole chapter. But before we see what happens after David arms himself, let's just walk back and unpack what we just read. See, our story starts like a fable or a legend. There once was a rich man who lived near Carmel. Now, this man's name is Nabal, which we find out later means fool. And so already, we almost wonder what's coming next from this folly of a man who's married to an intelligent and beautiful woman. And without even reading ahead, we have a clue from the way the narrator has introduced Nabal to us by way of his possessions. Nabal is exceedingly rich, and he's a cunning and shrewd business person. Not one of my first thoughts was of Ebenezer Scrooge hunched over his money and suspicious of the world. But Nabal isn't the main focus of the story in chapter 25. David is. And so David is introduced and still living in the wilderness with his men, where he's been on the run from King Saul. It's sheep shearing time, and that's a time known for landowners and shepherds to be extra generous and celebratory since they're gathering up their goods from this past season and getting ready to make the sale of the year. And so David sends a group of his men to greet Nabal and ask for generosity. You know, whatever is at hand. Now, if you're like me, you might read this and think, now wait a minute. Is David trying to extort Nabal? Did he just send a goon squad to squeeze a rich guy? This sounds like some kind of mafia scheme. I mean, can you imagine David's men dressed in cheap suits and slick back hair? One guy doing all the talking while the rest just stand around and look menacing? Well, now that you've got that image firmly planted in your mind, I'm sorry to say that it's an incorrect one. <laughs> I had to look into it, but apparently sheep shearing was accompanied by great feasting. And it would be an ideal time for a rich landholder to extend hospitality to strangers. But David and his men weren't even strangers to Nabal. We find out here, and it's corroborated later in the chapter by one of Nabal's servants, that David and his men were actually providing protection for the shepherds this past season. In the words of the servant, David and his men were like a wall around the sheep, guarding them and treating them with kindness. So I guess David and his men are totally in the right and in line with the culture of the area to go to Nabal and ask for some generosity in return for the services they had provided. David and Nabal were in one sense, business partners. And that's why it's so surprising when we see how Nabal responds. David, David who? Never heard of him. Sounds like some kind of a runaway slave trying to scam me out of my hard-earned cash. 
See, in a time known for celebration and generosity towards others, we get to see where Nabal gets his reputation for being surly and mean in his business dealings. In one verse, verse 11, Nabal puts all the focus on himself. He says, why should I take my bread and my water and the meat that I have slaughtered for my men just for me to give it to people that I don't know? See, now we see how fitting it was for the narrator to introduce Nabal in terms of his possessions. His life is determined by his property. He surrounds himself with his possessions. He spends his life defending his property. And when someone shows up that he perceives as trying to take his property, he doesn't listen to them for even a second. Instead, he jeers at David's men and insults the would-be king. So when David's men report back to David, he is livid. He reacts immediately by telling his men to suit up for battle. Nobody crosses David and gets away with it. And now we're caught up with a cliffhanger that we left off at previously. And so the narrator zooms us back to Nabal's area where we get to see one of his servants go to his wife, Abigail, to tell her about the interchange between David's men and Nabal. And the servant is worried because David and his men had indeed treated them very well. And yet Nabal had only hurled insults at them. He ends his story with a plea to Abigail, saying, please, please see what you can do because disaster is hanging over all of us and no one can talk sense into our master. Now, Abigail, we're told, acts quickly and puts together an enormous gift basket of, of bread, of wine, of, of cakes, dried fruit, grain, even a couple sheep. And she loads up the caravan and sends a servant ahead of her. So she hits the road without saying anything to her husband. Maybe she knew that listening wasn't his strong suit. And so then the narrator zooms us back to David, where he has just told his men that his intention is to completely wipe out Nabal and those in his stead. Even though they had not touched a single sheep of Nabal's, now he's vowing to not to leave a single person alive. So just as they begin to descend down the mountain ravine, they meet Abigail and her caravan of goods on their way up. Abigail immediately gets off her donkey and bows down before David. She pleads with him, and this is in verse 24. She says, pardon your servant, my Lord, let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. See, Abigail shows David the utmost respect and honor. And unlike Nabal with David's men, David actually pauses to listen. Abigail goes on to ask that David not pay any attention to Nabal's words. She even says that his name means fool and the name fits the man. But as for me, I didn't see your men when they came. And then Abigail says something that stopped David Cold. This is in verse 26. She says, Since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, please accept this gift for your men. Abigail knew what David was capable of. She had probably heard the songs about his military victories. Yet she decides to take the immense personal risk of hurrying out to meet him. A woman going out to meet 400 angry armed men. A woman armed only with a caravan of food and words of humility. She is wise and beautiful, yes, but she is also very brave. In many ways, Abigail is the exact opposite to Nabal. Don't do this rash thing. Trust the Lord your God who has preserved your life all this time. God will make you king. And you don't want to have the guilt of this bloodshed. Abigail pretty much tells David to trust God to fight the battles for him. 
taking matters into your own hands will only leave you with regret. And David listens to her. He pauses long enough to realize how close he was to blowing it. He had reacted in anger and set off to completely wipe out a whole village. And that would have put him in the same place as Saul, who had killed all the men, women, and children of Nob just a few chapters ago. And in the last chapter, we saw David show restraint in how he dealt with Saul, but he wasn't showing restraint here. I mean, maybe he was grieving the death of Samuel the prophet. Maybe he was getting sick of hiding in the wilderness and he just wanted to exert some of his frustration on someone else. Maybe he was getting tired of waiting to become king and wanted to take control of the situations around him. In any case, we can't miss the fact that David needed correction. He needed to be reminded to trust God's ways. He needed to be stopped before he foolishly exacted vengeance on the fool Nabal and put his own future at risk. See, David was beginning to act like Saul and he needed someone to confront him and stop him from going there. Abigail filled that role for David and she does it tactfully enough. She praises his previous efforts lauding him with affirmations that God had been and would be with him. She even calls down judgment on his enemies, even though that meant throwing her husband under the bus. She declares that God was establishing him, David, as king and gives the warning that all of us would do well to listen to you. Have you ever heard a saying like this? Do nothing on your way up that will bring you down later. Wise words from the wife of a fool. And David hears these words and receives them gratefully. He says, praise be to God, the Lord of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. See, David recognizes how God has been at work behind the scenes to ensure that he didn't misstep here. He accepts her gift and he sends her home. Now she gets back and finds the ball in the middle of a huge banquet, completely drunk, enjoying the spirit of the season of sheep shearing. And since he was not in any frame of mind to listen to anything she had to say, she doesn't say anything to him until the next day. Then she goes to him and tells him everything that happened, including the part about the 400 armed men ready to slaughter everyone because of Nabal's rash words. Now the narrator tells us that Nabal's heart failed him and he became like a stone and died 10 days later. Nabal was a hard worker, a hard eater, a hard drinker. Maybe you've known someone like that. Then he had a major fright and it was all too much for his heart. Now word gets back to David about Nabal's death and he praises God, attributing Nabal's demise to the hand of God, working behind the scenes to bring justice for David's hurt pride. Now, regardless of whether or not this is exactly why it happened, the narrator doesn't tell us. We just see that David feels vindicated and he capitalizes on the opportunity by sending for Abigail and asking her to marry him. And she says yes. And the chapter ends by letting us know that this is now David's third wife. So we end this story not with a happy romantic ending, but a puzzling one. There's no mention of love or romance between David and Abigail. He just married the widow of a rich landowner and gained all of Nabal's assets and prestige in the area. And Abigail knows a good opportunity when she sees one. It seems like a good outcome for both of them. 
But the fact is that David is already starting a habit of taking women that intrigue him and adding them to his collection. By the time he's going to be made king in the region of Hebron, he's going to have six sons by six different women. The famous Bathsheba episode that comes later on is just the natural progression of a man who thinks he can take whatever he wants. And we're seeing the beginning of that trend now. So what are we to make of this? Now we can see that all throughout this story of human shrewdness, calculation, and just plain acting dumb, God is again at work behind the scenes to bring about his intention of making David king. And sometimes that involves keeping David safe from his own temper. Sometimes that involves surrounding David with wise counsel so that he doesn't go through life simply reacting to the things that happen to him. See, this story shows us the danger of making choices based on our pride and letting our anger get the best of us. But it's also a little refreshing to see David struggling with normal human emotions like pride and anger. It's helpful to see him struggle to make the right decision because it shows us God's grace in his life. And that helps serve as a reminder to us about God's grace in our lives as well. But this story also shows us the difference between people who listen and respond from a place of security and faith in God's provision and those who just react based on their own pride or fear or anger. I mean, let's just go back and see all the places that words like listen or hear or, or talk or speak are mentioned. Verse 4 David heard about the sheep shearing. Verse 8, ask your servants and they'll tell you. Verse 12, they reported every word. Verse 14, they told Abigail. Verse 17, he's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Verse 19, and Abigail did not tell her husband. Verse 24, let me speak to you. Hear what I have to say. Verse 35, I have heard your words. Verse 37, his wife told him and his heart became like stone. Verse 39, was David asking her to be his wife? And I might have missed one or two. This story revolves around David's desire for vengeance and Abigail's gentle persuasiveness in preventing him from committing something that he'd regret. It's all about listening. But are we listening to the right people? Are we selectively listening, but really ignoring the wise counsel that God has placed around us? Are we seeking out other members of the family of God to help speak to us so that we don't operate as a lone wolf intent on pursuing our own path, even if it gets us into trouble? Who are you listening to? Or, put another way, is the who you're listening to fighting for God's will for you or something else? Because everyone has an agenda. I mean, just look at this story. David's men spoke to Nabal in order to hopefully receive some generosity in response. Nabal's servant spoke to Abigail in order to get her to act to fix the mess that Nabal had gotten them all into. Abigail was trying to dissuade David's anger. And the people in our lives that we give the privilege of speaking to us, they have an agenda as well. I mean, just think of this. Sometimes when, when I speak to my wife, I want to convince her of something. And sometimes she wants me to stop what I'm working on and help her with something. Sometimes I want to warm her up to an idea. And sometimes she wants me to connect with her about our day. And these are all normal and they're not bad. But every once in a while, 
when I'm speaking to my wife, it's because I can see something that she isn't seeing or something that she isn't believing about herself. And because I know her well, and because I know that God desires the best for her, I try to speak to her in order to declare something that is true about her because of what God is doing in our lives. Or, or sometimes she'll remind me of the love and acceptance that I already have in Christ, so I don't need to perform or earn. Or I'll remind her that our God is an abundant provider, so she doesn't need to react in such a self-protective way. Is the who you're listening to fighting for God's will for you or something else? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to people who just want something from you? Are you listening to people who want you to react in anger against something you're both frustrated about? So they, they egg you on and raise the temperature until you're both angry? Are you listening to someone who's trying to manipulate you into feeling bad because of how bad they feel? Are you listening to someone who isn't making Christ-centered decisions for their own life and they're content to have you join them in a life of chasing after things that won't last? Who are you listening to? See, this is an important question for us because we need good counsel to keep us from rash decisions. Even those of us who say we follow Jesus make bad decisions and I can almost guarantee that the worst decisions are made when we're in isolation and not listening to good counsel. We have been created for community. We've been created to live as a family. There's no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. If you're following Christ, you're a part of a body. And God is inviting us into a deeper relationship of connection and accountability with each other. And this isn't a burden. It's freedom. It's a get to. We get to listen to the counsel of others, even if it reveals our failures, because only God deserves glory. So we don't need to work to protect our own pride. We get to be accountable to the counsel of others because we can trust that God's grace is at work in our lives so we don't have anything to prove on our own effort. God is at work behind the scenes of the story of our whole family of faith. And he's leading us toward our future. And we get to hear his leading through the wise counsel of others because he's empowered each of us with his own spirit, all thanks to the loving sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. So this week, I invite you, let's take inventory of our who that we're listening to. If they're fighting for anything other than God's will for us, or for our family, then prayerfully ask God whether or not we should turn down the volume knob on that person's voice in our life. Because of Jesus, we don't have to live reactively to protect our pride. We don't have to change after getting more and more just to feel that we have enough. We don't have to live our lives in fear of what others think about us because we have a good Father, who is always working to call us back to him and is inviting us into the new creation life of the kingdom of God, where we get to listen to the words of Jesus and then obey him in how we welcome others into the family. And that's good news.
If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.